to Ecclesiastes 7. A little off. Don't get it, right? All right. So Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 29. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourselves have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom, I said. I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things, and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among all these I have not found. One man among thousands I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us from it. That your word is living and active. That through these words, Lord, you're seeking to accomplish your good purposes in us and through us. Lord, that through these words, you're going to teach us. You're going to correct us. You're going to reprove us. You're going to train us. In righteousness, that we might be competent, that we might be equipped for the good works that you have prepared for us to do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would really fill us with your spirit, that you would really give us these soft hearts, that we would receive it, and that you would give us ears to hear, so that we might be changed, Lord, by your word, by your grace. And Lord, that we might leave here today with a greater love for you, a greater love for others, and a passion to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, several years ago, um, in reading books, thinking about youth ministry, um, I came across three questions that have really helped shape the way I think about the youth in our church, the way um, not just the youth in our church, but these three questions have helped me as a dad, as I think about my kids and seeking to be 
faithful to what God has called me to, and they just sort of made sense. And so if you talk to me at all and we start talking about kids or we talk about the youth in the church in some ways, um, these questions are always right there for me when I'm interacting with them. And not just my kids or the kids in the church, but I get an opportunity to coach uh, sports, high schoolers as well. And these things I'm always thinking about. I might not always be saying them to them, but I'm thinking about these things. And so these three questions are this. And, and it really came from this book where they said, this is what young people think about. This is what really matters to them. And so you may be a young person and you may think I'm crazy, but somebody else said this and I'm just sort of repeating it. And it just seems to make sense. And so these three questions are this. Who am I? What is my purpose? And who are my friends? Or instead of who are my friends, it's sort of where do I belong? And so those things just sort of made sense to me. And as I thought about it, it's not just three questions for young people who wrestle with these things. Because they stand out not just to me as I think about young people in our church or young people in my home or young people that I get to interact with. I I think about these questions all the time for myself. I mean, I ask them specifically like that, but I'm wrestling through sort of these types of of things. And I'm 45 years old, and you would have thought that maybe I would have figured this out by now, but the reality is life changes. It changes a lot. We, we move from one season to the next, and those questions sort of pop back up into my head. I once was a young and, the way I say it, dumb pastor at the age of 27 trying to figure out how to be a lead pastor of this church. And so that that was almost 20 years ago. And so now I'm an older and still sort of dumb pastor trying to figure out how to lead an older church. But if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, especially over those last 18 to 20 years, you know this church has changed significantly. And so our seasons change. We get older, and these questions just roll around in my head. So, so who am I today? Those are the types of things I ask myself. And what has God called me to do today? And that's the purpose question. What, what am I supposed to be giving myself to? And then who are my friends? Or where do I belong? I used to be a young dad, and at one point, I was that young dad trying to raise young kids, and so I'd answer it that way. But now I'm an older dad, and I have one kid who's still in high school. I have three kids who are pretty much adults, and the one who's still in high school is kind of an adult. He's about to be 18 this summer, and so instead of being a young dad trying to figure out how to parent young kids, I'm an older dad trying to figure out how do I stay involved and be faithful to what God has called me to do with these older kids today? What does that look like? And so these questions still sort of spin around in my head and I'm always sort of thinking about them. And just as soon as I figure that out, or I feel like I figured out what season I'm actually in, guess what happens? It just changes. And so How it changed recently is all of a sudden I became a father-in-law. And it didn't hit me until after they got married. And I'm sitting there driving. I'm just thinking, father-in-law, it just sounds so old. And I didn't think about like just immediately father-in-law. I just thought about like my daughter's married and son-in-law. And then I thought, oh, I have a son-in-law. 
And my, my mind works with it. It's like, I could probably got to buy him Christmas presents. And then it dawned on me, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. That makes me a father-in-law. And then when they come home for Christmas, they're already sort of they hint at this new season of life that's coming that, like, I'm just trying to adjust to being who I am today as a, as a dad and now a father-in-law. And then just this idea of, no, you could be a grandpa next year. And I'm just like, I guess. And what does that even mean? Like, I know grandpas. I know what they look like. I, like I've seen them. I've seen Chuck become a grandpa, and I've seen many of you become grandpas. And at 45, I don't, I don't know. I don't think grandpa. But that's just where the Lord has me. So you guys get the point. The point is we're, we're constantly moving. And the Lord places us in, in new places, in new circumstances. And, and these questions are important. Who am I? What is my purpose? What what should I do today? And then who are my friends? Because the reality is none of us like to be alone. As much as you would say, I'm a loner, the reality is we all know this. We're we're not actually called to live life alone. Nobody wants to be left alone for too long of a time. Now, we do need alone time. Now, I'm not saying that, but but the reality is God has created us to be people who live in community with others. And so we all know this. We all feel this. We all move towards it. When we don't have those people in our lives, then it just makes us sad because we begin to look around and just say, just, where do I actually belong? Who do I actually get to live life with? And so we're all trying to figure these things out. We're all trying to just find out, Lord, what, what is the purpose of the life that you have given me to live? And when I wake up in the morning, what should I do and who should I do it with? And we place value on how we answer those questions because they're important questions that we should answer. And so I just share that with you today because we're making our way through Ecclesiastes and we're over halfway through it. And we've been following Solomon on a journey as he has been making his way throughout this book, letting us know how he's looked at life as he's really been on the hunt to answer those questions. Maybe asking them in a different way, but but he's really looking for what's the meaning of life? Why do we all get to do this? Why do we all get to take a deep breath and exhale? And then walk and do certain things. What's, what's the point of it? And so he's been searching for answers. For what's the meaning of life as we live it out under the sun. And by under the sun he just kind of means here on earth. And he's been looking at it from a life lived apart from God. And so everybody's doing this. We're all doing this. And, and what's the meaning? And so far he's, he's come up with some some pretty good stuff. And a lot of it's been negative. He's, he's helped us understand that, that life lived apart from God under the sun is all vanity. And so he's been saying it's vanity. It's meaningless. It's, it's like that breath you took when you got out of the car today and you walked from the parking lot to this building. You breathed and you saw it, right? And then it was gone. It was just that real quick burst, and you kind of see it for a second, and then it just vanishes. 
and it's gone. And so that's what he said. That's what life lived here on earth apart from God under the sun. It's just the pursuit of meaningless things. It's a chasing after the wind. Because we're all searching for those questions and those answers. And life lived apart from God. We, we go down this road and we think, okay, if I get this, then I'm going to be happy. That, then I'm going to arrive at the person I think I should be with the purpose I think I should have and live life with the people I think I should live life with. And so we do that. And what Solomon says, no, I've done that. I've seen it. I've watched people do it apart from God. And it's that breath. It's there and it's gone. It's a chasing after the wind. You, you run down that road and you think you're going to be happy and you think you're going to be satisfied. And you're going to ultimately find that value that sort of just gives you that great peace. And he says, no, you're chasing the wind. And we all know that to be true. And if you don't today, that just means you haven't lived life long enough. Meaning you run after it and as soon as you think you get it, guess what happens? It changes, kind of like our lives. As soon as you figure something out and you're really good in this one season of life, it vanishes. It might last for just a little bit, but it never stays the same. And so it's vanity. But what I love about Solomon, as we make our way through this book, is, is he's not a man that just gives up easily. If you remember, if you can just go back and read through these first seven chapters, he's a guy who who pursues wisdom. He's looking at wisdom. He's looking at folly. And he's opening doors. And he's going down this road. Well, maybe I, maybe this is it. And no, that door shuts. And then he comes over here and he looks at this. And, and after he's all done looking, he just thinks, maybe I missed something. And so then he goes back and he opens another door that it's already been shut. And he's just kind of looking at it saying, okay, I, I probably missed something. I'm hoping I missed something. I'm hoping I can find an answer right here. And, and sure enough, he hasn't. But but he hasn't given up, and he's not going to give up. In our text this morning, we're going to follow him as he shares with us some more observations about life and his thoughts about wisdom and folly. And we're going to take a look at two points this morning. In our first point, we learned that wisdom gives strength to those who receive it. So wisdom gives strength to those who receive it. Now, Backing up a little bit, in verse 15, Solomon says, In my vain life I have seen everything. And some of this is a little bit of review. We've stepped away from it during Christmas for a little bit. But, but what he's just saying is, again, I've seen it all. The wise man, the Lord has given him some really distinct wisdom in his leadership. And he's used some of that wisdom to go and figure more things out. And he just says, I, I've, in my vain life, I've seen it all. And if you keep going on from 15, you're, you're going to see that he's, he kind of captures this observation and what he's seen. He just says, I've seen it all. I've seen really good, righteous people die young, and I've seen wicked, evil people live long lives. And his conclusion was to just sort of try, based upon what he saw, his conclusion was to then, like, what should we do? He says, well, don't be overly righteous and don't be overly wicked. Just kind of try to play it safe. And so, again, remember, sometimes he's just talking to us as, as, as what life looks like under the sun. If you want to know the conclusion to this book, you got, just go to the very end and he'll give you, he'll say, I wrap all this stuff up. And this is, this is ultimately what he believes in the wisdom that he gives to us. But as he's making this journey, he's just trying to make sense of some of this. 
And the reality is it, it makes a lot of sense to us as we look at it because we could all say, yeah, I, I, I see that. I see that actually happening in life. He's not really making anything up. He's, he's just observing things and sharing what he sees from it. And God is speaking to us through it. And so he gets to verse 19 and he tells us what else he saw. He says, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. So as to leave us with no doubt at all about the value of wisdom. He tells us that one man who has wisdom from God is as good as ten men ruling over one city. And by ten men here, really what he's just saying that is, is I'd take one man who has some wisdom over a bunch of men, even all men who lack wisdom but are called to lead the same city. Does that make sense? And so he's just kind of putting them on a scale for us here. Wisdom versus folly. We want to choose wisdom. Because that one man who has wisdom is more capable of leading and caring and doing the things that God has called them to do than all the men in the world trying to do the same thing. Wisdom is valuable. It, it gives strength to those who receive it. Only a fool would look at the value of wisdom here and walk away from it and not choose it. Only a fool would choose the way of this world over God and his ways. And so that's what he's getting at. He's sharing these little tidbits with us. If you had to choose, what are you going to take? You're going to take wisdom or you're going to take folly? You're going to follow the Lord or you're going to follow the ways of this world? Now, before we think too highly of ourselves here as, as possibly being wise people, Solomon goes on to share just maybe a few more observations with us. Verse 20, he says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Phil was alluding to this during communion. Even the wisest among us fails to fully fear God. Even the most holy amongst us fails to do what God has created us to do. And so he's just getting at and helping us see that no one is without sin. This side of heaven. No one is perfectly wise. In Psalm 143, verse 2, we learn that no one living is righteous before God. And then Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, he says, none is righteous, no, not one. And then in verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and if you still just don't believe what he's trying to tell us here in regards to kind of what he's seen and where we kind of fall into this. He goes on in verse 21 and 22 and just sort of shares this illustration with us. He says, do not take to heart, illustration slash wisdom, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So there's some real wisdom here that Solomon shares with us. He's basically saying, don't listen to everything you hear other people say about you. Don't, don't take it all to heart. Don't, don't live your life based upon what your friends say about you. Don't live your life based upon what 
the world around you is saying about you. Don't, don't put all of your value into what other people think about you. It's pretty good wisdom, isn't it? I'm assuming you guys all know who Bill Belichick is, right? Because I'm your pastor. So he just, he just, re- he didn't retire. He got sort of let go. I guess it was like a, a good let go. They both decided it's time to move on. But the reason I'm bringing him up is, is the way in which he coached, he'd always come up with these like little sayings. And then they would kind of last the season. And then they would kind of define the team for that season. And so you'd hear things like, do your job. And so you have a team, everybody's got a job to do. And so the, the team picks up on it and everybody just says, do your job, do your job. And so if you're the quarterback, do your job. If you're the safety, do your job. If you're the kick returner, do your job. Everybody's got a job. And so that thing lasts. But there's one that like just stands out and I, I've kind of always loved. I think you guys have heard it, whether you like him or not, but it's, it's, it's ignore the noise. And you know what that means? So if you play in the NFL and you have publicity like that and and your winners, because you win a lot of Super Bowls, like six in 24 seasons, that's a lot. Having gone to the Super Bowl 10 times in those 24 years, you're not going to find any other organization quite like that or a coach like that. Anyways, people aren't going to like you. You're just going to get some haters out there. And so what this proverb says and what Solomon is saying here is, is ignore the noise. Because people are going to say things. That you're not going to like your friends. He even says your friends. He says your servants, those who live close to you. Sometimes people say things. He's just kind of getting at this fact about life that people like to talk. And sometimes when they talk, they don't always say the nicest of things. We know Ephesians 4 to be true, right? No corrupting talk. But only such as is good. It builds up. That fits the occasion. That gives grace to those who hear. Okay, raise your hand. If that's the only way you ever speak, if you only ever speak in such a way that is encouraging, that builds up, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever spoken a corrupt word, especially a corrupt word about somebody you love. I don't have to do it because in God's word, he's sort of just confirming it. We all do it. He's getting at that, that, that truth here that, that all of us sin and all of us fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't mean we're sh- we should continue to do it. He's just saying, listen, don't listen to the people talking bad about you. And, oh, by the way, don't forget, you talk bad about people. You open your mouth and not every word is encouraging. We all know that to be true, right? And so he, he's getting at this truth and he, he's, he's helping us to understand and Philip Ryken says the following, he says, together, these verses teach us an even more sobering truth. Our tongue is only the tip of the iniquity iceberg, the proof that all humans are inescapably flawed is right between our teeth. But in case you think you're still the exception, what I would say is let's just look at the cross. Let's look at what Jesus actually did and why he did it. See, Jesus didn't come and live a perfect life and die a horrible, humiliating death for good people. 
He died to save sinners. That's what we celebrate when we take communion together. He didn't die for friends. He died for enemies. And so Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you love that? It shows us two things. It shows us a number of things. But when we look to the cross, what we see is we see God's amazing love for us. And we love to sing about it, don't we? But what highlights God's love and what makes his love so amazing in so many ways is understanding what this section of Scripture says in Romans. It highlights God's love because we weren't that good of people, is what he's saying. We, we weren't sort of friends and comrades and, and loyal people seeking to just do the right thing at the right time. No, it says, no, you were enemies. You were sinners. And Christ died for you. That's amazing. And it even becomes more amazing when we really understand just how sinful we are. Just what a great debt Christ paid for us. Because the reality is, like, by God's grace, we, we just don't see that full picture all the time. Occasionally, God pulls it back and he says, let me show you who you really are apart from me. And it's bad. But in those moments when God lifts it, and you get to see, well, I, I really do sin, and I do sin in significant ways, sometimes it can crush us in those moments, but it's not meant to crush us. It's good to feel it sometimes, but we don't want to stay there because Romans doesn't just keep us there because it's highlighting something great. And that's the love of God for his people. God loved us. He came after us by giving his son Jesus to die for us because we're sinners and can't save ourselves. And that's amazing grace. So the cross of Christ shows us how much God loves us, and it shows us how foolish and sinful we are apart from him. See, the cross exposes us to the reality of who we are apart from Jesus. We're not wise without him. We are fools blinded by our own sin. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. So aren't you glad Aren't you glad that we have a Savior? Aren't you glad that God has loved us and sent Jesus to die for us and to save us? See, wisdom is found in Christ, who gives strength to his people. Now, Solomon moves on to share sort of his limitations with us. He says in verse 23, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? So Solomon had spent most of his life dedicated to the pursuit of finding wisdom. And he was a very wise man. But at the end of the day, what he's saying is, this is deep. He looked hard and long for these answers. He was able to come up with many, but, but never fully able to get them, at least at this point. 
And he's sort of left wondering here, what is wisdom? What, what is the meaning of life? Will, will I ever find my purpose here? Apart from God, this, this is where all of us will be in life. God has not created this world to sort of be able to figure it out on its own. And so there, there's sort of this God-ordained frustration, I like to call it. That when we try to live life apart from God, we try to ask those questions, who am I, what's my purpose, and where do I ultimately belong? And, and we start running after these things apart from God, and we bump into stuff. And we find ourselves maybe getting it, and it's like, man, this is not fun. There, there's got to be something better than this. And so that, that's part of God's sort of ordained purpose for this world. Apart from him, you're never finding real answers to those questions that will fully satisfy. Too deep. Too wide. But Solomon goes on in his second point. We learn this. No one is perfectly wise because everyone is a bit of a fool at times. So throughout this chapter, Solomon has been telling us about all the things that he's observed as he was looking for life's answers. In verse 25, he tells us that he was seeking not only wicked or wisdom, but he also sort of was seeking out the, the wickedness of folly. Verse 25, he says, I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And what he found, what he found was something more bitter than death. It's kind of an interesting section here. And so, so he's looking at, at wisdom, and then he kind of turns, and he, okay, I'm going to look at the wickedness of folly, and he says, he says this, and I find something, verse 26, more bitter than death. Now, that's bitter, okay? And here it is. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. And so he tells us he found something more bitter in death, and she just happens to be a woman. And so commentators are kind of wrestling through this and, and trying to figure things out. And is this a specific woman? Is he sort of being sexist here? Is he, is he drawing attention to something? But, but I, I think the key to the answer in the sense of understanding this is, is sort of found in Proverbs 9. And you can, you can go back there and you can, you can look that up yourself. But I encourage you to read it. Here's, here's what I like to do with Proverbs 9. Read it and read it out loud. And when I mean loud, I mean, I mean loud. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit of it. But in Proverbs 9, what you're going to get is, is Solomon sort of sharing that there's two different women out there in this world. There, there's sort of lady wisdom and there's lady folly. In the first half of Proverbs 9, lady wisdom is she's out in the streets and she's yelling and she's saying, come here, find rest, find your freedom. Find your security. Find, find your value. But she's not the only woman screaming in that street. And so you turn to verse 13, and we read this, Proverbs 9, 13. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. And so there's just this great picture, okay? So foolishness, it's out there. It's going to meet you as soon as you enter or leave that door. 
And it's going to be sitting up really, really high, and she's going to be screaming at the top of her voice, but she's going to scream in such a way that's not annoying. It's going to be seductive. It's going to, it's going to be a net. It's going to be a snare. And it's going to try to trap you. And here's what she says. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Isn't that true? We walk outside, you go out and you live your life this week and there's going to be Lady Wisdom screaming truth and then you're going to have sort of Lady Folly here and she's going to be throwing out things that sound true but they're not because she's going to set a trap. She's going to say things like, you can continue to do whatever it is you want to do as long as it's secret and you'll never, nobody will ever find out and nobody will ever get hurt. You don't really need to trust in Jesus. You just need to go, go do your thing. Pursue your dream, and when you get there, it's going to be good for you. But see, this proverb, it sort of lets us in on this secret. No, if if you choose Lady Folly, she really is just sort of laying a a net to trap you. And sometimes that trap looks like a marriage that sort of gets broken up, or relationships that get destroyed by the foolishness of our own sin and our foolish pursuit. See, folly is a great liar. And he's right, it's, it's more bitter than death. Because when we choose that, and we live that way, it, it really does destroy. It destroys a lot. She's taken many lives. She's destroyed many marriages. She's captured the attention and trapped all of us at different times in our lives. But we are not left without hope. Solomon tells us that those who fear God, those who seek to please God, escape her. See, one of the many benefits of choosing wisdom or choosing Christ, seeking to faithfully pick up our crosses and follow him, is is that through him, by the grace of God, there really is a way of escape from this woman of folly that Solomon's talking about here. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. This is an important verse for us. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's a lot of hope in this section here. It just tells us you're not unique. Lady Lady Folly will capture your attention at different times. She, she will tempt you to choose the wrong way, and, and you'll think it's the right way. But what we have here is we, we sort of have promises from God that, that whatever those temptations may be, they're, they're not going to be so powerful that, that if you're genuinely found in Christ, you're going to be stuck in that temptation. That, that, that just sort of ruins you, and it's going to ruin your life, and it's going to ruin your marriage. No, he says no, no temptation is unique to you. It's actually common. And and more important than that is God is faithful. So important to understand here. God is faithful. He takes care of his people. He said he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he'll also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so we can fight sin. We can fight foolishness. There, There is a way of escape. 
through faith in Christ and by the power of God at work in us with his spirit and the community of believers that he's given to us as we seek to just walk in the light. And so, so we can fight it. And Solomon says those who fear God, those who seek to please God, they escape her. But there's also good news for those who find themselves being trapped because there's still a way of escape. And that, that way of escape is through repentance. Repenting and confessing our sin and turning away from our sin and turning back to trusting in Jesus and picking up that cross and following him again. Solomon goes on to share more of what he found in verse 27 and 28. He says, Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. And so it appears like Solomon's actually talking about real people here in some ways, like he's surrounding himself with a lot of different people. And he's just saying, listen, I've looked, and I kind of took a thousand of these men who are around me, and I found one. One wise one, one, one who is actually seeking to please the Lord, seeking to fear God. And then he says, and then of all the women in my life at this point, I, did, I didn't even find one. And it shouldn't surprise us, because Solomon didn't really surround himself with godly women who were seeking to worship God. If you look in First Kings, you'll actually see Solomon kind of surrounding himself with with women who, who weren't really seeking to honor God, but instead were, were worshiping foreign gods. And so he might have been a wise man, but we also know he's done some foolish things. And so he, he just didn't, he didn't see a lot of God-fearing people around him, seeking to please God. And then chapter 7 closes with Solomon's conclusion of what he had really found. Verse 29, he says, See, this alone I found. That God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, Charles Bridges, in his commentary, calls this verse a humbling testimony to the universal and total corruption of the whole race of man. And so what he's basically saying here is, is I've looked out, I've seen this, I can only find one man, no women around me that are actually really seeking to honor the Lord. And he's kind of discouraged here. It's going to get better. Okay, this will get better. But he's ending sort of like, not really seeing much. But what he does observe is this. It's not God's fault. Because he says, what I've seen and what I found is that God made man upright. And we know that to be true. God made man in his own image after his own likeness, and he declared it to be what? It was good. Who, who, who wrecked that? Adam did. And Adam represented us. And because of Adam, Adam, everybody born after him, we sort of inherit this sinful nature. And, that, and that's what he's observing here is, is God has made man to be upright. God has made us in his image after his likeness to worship him, to honor him. But there's a problem, and the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. We sin. We fall short of the glory of God. We have this inability apart from God to seek to honor God and please God. God made us upright, created us to worship him. We, we are the ones who have fallen short. But Adam isn't the only one to have represented us before God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 real quick. 
Sometimes you just got to read some of this just to be reminded and to see it for yourself. So Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. So because of Adam and his sin, we sin because we have this sinful nature, but we have this. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news. That's the good news. We receive wisdom and strength through faith in Jesus Christ and through Christ alone. God has made us upright. But we sort of ruin that. But God loved us and sent his son Jesus to redeem us, to Bring us back upright by faith in Him. Our only hope in this life to really find out who we are, to find out what our purpose is, and who we ultimately belong to, it's found in Jesus Christ alone. You see, in Christ, we are new creations. In Christ, you are a child of God. In Christ, you are loved by God. That's who you are. In Christ, you have been redeemed to fear God, to love God, to glorify God, and obey God. That, that's your purpose. In Christ, you belong to God. When you ask those questions, where do I belong? And I would say this, if you're in Christ, the answer is you belong to God. Well, who are my friends? Those whom Christ has redeemed. See, those things don't ever change with seasons of life. It don't matter if you're just a young dad, an old dad, if you have a son-in-law and you became a father-in-law or you're a grandpa or whatever it may be. Those are just sort of temporary sort of descriptions of who you are. These are real because these are found in Christ. These are the things that actually help us close our eyes at night and fall asleep. That we don't have to worry about. Because Jesus has secured them through his life and his death and his resurrection. And so we have good news here. Solomon might not have seen it at the end of this chapter, but he's going to see it. But we get to see it because we live on this side of the cross. And so may the Lord bless you with eyes to see it. May he bless you with ears to hear it. 
And may he bless you with a soft heart to really believe these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you please pour out your spirit upon us? Soften our hearts. Give us a mind to understand and comprehend. And give us great faith to believe. That we might walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, would you bless all the women as they're driving back from the shore from this conference? Would you give them fellowship, encouragement, rest? Lord, would you sow those seeds in their hearts and may they bear fruit, Lord, not just in their lives, but in this church and in our community? And would you give us fellowship as we just stand around for a few minutes, Lord, together here this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for